Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Morgan Daimler author of more than two dozen books on the subjects relating to Irish mythology, paganism, and fairies. She's contributed to multiple anthologies and magazines, as well as taught workshops on these topics across the U.S. and internationally. Morgan, thank you so much for being my guest today, and welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's just start with something simple, or it may seem simple, but I want to get a working definition. What is a fairy? Sure. That is an excellent place to start uh, because it is one of those subjects, I think, that when you say the word fairy, everyone immediately has an idea in their mind of what we're talking about. And a lot of times that idea isn't wrong, but it's only a, a portion of the picture. So when we're talking about fairies, um, and I use the term the way it's used uh, generally in folklore and academia and then um, in a lot of cultures that still have like active fairy beliefs. It really is sort of a catch-all term. I kind of equate it to like the term animal um, where it's not a specific type of being so much as it's a kind. Um, so it, it's really any being that is in the human world, but comes from a different, what we would call the other world or the world of fairy. Um, and some people call them extra dimensional. Some people call them interdimensional, but they're, they're beings who are from a place that is not here, who have the ability to travel here um, at their will to come and go. Um, and within that, we see a whole range of different things. So there are fairies who look like that sort of stereotypical expectation of sort of Tinkerbell, like tiny winged sprite. Uh, but you also have fairies that look very human. Um, you have fairies that look like dogs, cats, horses. Um, so it's, it's really quite a wide range within that sort of general description, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I guess my vision of a fairy when I think of it is more of a pixie. Would a pixie be classified as a fairy? Yep. Um, a lot of things, a lot of specific types fall within that sort of broader, um, I guess we'd say umbrella term of fairy. So you'd have things like pixies, um, elves, which, you know, people tend to be more familiar with, um, leprechauns, which a lot of people are familiar with, uh, got to Gotta love pop culture and, and mass media and serial commercials for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any any sort of named type of being like that tends to fall into that broader definition of a fairy. Do fairies come from Ireland or Iceland? That is a really good question. Um, when we're talking about fairies, it really is this sort of generic term, as I mentioned. And it's sort of the English language word that's used for these beings across pretty much Western Europe. 
So we tend to most often think of them, um, I think, as being, you know, from Ireland or, you know, sometimes like Ireland, Scotland, Wales, like those sorts of areas. Um, but we actually find stories of them and people have encounters with them, um, you know, all across Ireland, the UK, um, France, uh, Iceland definitely has them as well. In places like Iceland, you know, where they English is not obviously the first language there, they have other words in the language for those beings. But in, in English, we would call them fairies. Um, which is the same actually in Ireland and Wales and, and other places like that, where, you know, in the, the native language, that place, there's another term that's used or other terms that are used, but we all, we label all of them kind of fairies in English. So hmm. I realize that that's not always clarifying. Sometimes it just adds confusion. Until you said it, I never thought about them being interdimensional or extra dimensional beings showing up in this realm, kind of like Sasquatch. Yeah, it's actually really interesting that you mentioned that too. Um, and this is not, I should say, my particular forte. Um, you want to look at like someone like Joshua Cutchin, who's written books specifically about the crossover with sort of um, UFO experiences and fairies and then Sasquatch in particular. But there is a lot of really interesting comparisons that can be made and crossovers uh, that can be made between fairies and fairy lore um, and Sasquatch in particular with the sorts of stories that people say and the way that the encounters tend to happen, the experiences that people tend to have. Um, there's a surprising amount of similarities. I don't think a lot of people realize how similar uh, those, those two sorts of beings are. Like, I'm not willing to go so far as to say that Sasquatch is a kind of fairy mm. um, or, you know, vice versa, but it, it definitely makes a person wonder. Do you think the mythology of fairies grew out of the actual encounters? I do. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's layers of it that have come about through um, creativity and, and human imagination and aspects of that. Um, and we see things like that at play today with um, some of the ideas that go around. But, um, you know, the anecdotal accounts we have go back and writing uh, quite a, a, a good way. And, you know, we still have them happening today. Uh, people do still have fairy encounters today. Um, not just, again, where people kind of have that stereotypical expectation that it would be, you know, like Ireland and the UK and even Iceland. Um, but there's a lot of anecdotal accounts that people have in like Canada and the United States um, so it's it's sort of a widespread phenomena, I think. Have you ever considered people who see orbs thinking that they're fairies? Yeah, that's another one of those interesting crossovers. Um, and I, I admit that I'm a little, I don't want to say on the fence, undecided, we'll say, hmm. as to what exactly orbs are. Right. Um, I do know that there's people who have had experiences that are, are definitely what we would classify as like a fairy encounter. Um, like it has other things that happen that are sort of, you know, checking off that checklist of what we would look for that have also seen orbs or had orbs um, involved in the experience. Sometimes not just caught on film, but, you know, visually uh, being able to see them in the moment. And I know that orbs are also something that occurs often in other sorts of experiences uh, particularly, of course, hauntings, which a lot of people are familiar with the orbs connected there. 
Um, so I'm a little uncertain myself if I would say they're a type of fairy being, which is possible, um, or they might be something that's sort of a third classification that, that we just don't know what it is yet. Um, not a human ghost, not a fairy, but something that's kind of drawn to the energy in places where um, those sorts of things are going on. Um, but it definitely when orbs are around, there's, there's something, something's around. Are there any telltale signs that if you see this, then a fairy may appear? Um, it's a little varied just because fairy is that sort of catch-all term. So, you know, different specific types of fairy beings sometimes will have sort of different specific things attached to them. Um, generally speaking, in my experience, if um, you are outdoors in particular and like everything goes quiet, like all the birds stop, all the insects stop, um, traffic seems to stop, just everything gets very silent. Um, that's something I've noticed that seems to precede experiences. Um, I used to say that one way you could tell the difference between fairies and, and ghosts and hauntings was that fairies didn't mess with batteries because haunted places and ghosts are kind of notorious for batteries draining. But um, I've had several friends who've had experiences that were definitely fairy types of experiences that had issues with battery draining. So I can't say that anymore. Um, <laughs> if your battery drains, that that's a sign that something is going to happen. Um, some of the things that I've personally noticed besides the, the silence coming in, um, if you can audibly hear, if you can distinctly hear, not on a recording or not after the fact, um, music or voices or things like that, a lot of times that tends to be a fairy thing, um, particularly if it's not the sort of thing you would expect, um, if it's music like you've never heard before, uh, very strange noises, um, if you, it's like hearing people talking that are passing by, but you can't see anybody, um, the sound of horses, the sound of dogs, those are kind of typical fairy things. Um, you know, things like that are, are sort of common experiences people have and then um, encounters after that. But usually the stuff leading up to it, I find is subtle enough that you almost don't notice it till after the fact. And then you sort of look back and realize that there were some strange things going on. Are fairies always good? And, you know, like cute little beings like Tinkerbell or are some of them up to mischievous things or even dangerous? Yeah, um, all of the above. Yes. Hmm. Um, there are definitely ones who, you know, in the stories act in, you know, kind ways, nice ways that are helpful or can be helpful. Um, I think all of them could probably qualify as mischievous. Um, they're sort of uh, notorious for that kind of across experiences. Um, but we definitely have a, a significant amount of material and, you know, anecdotal accounts, people's experiences. I've had experiences myself that um, would qualify as like dangerous. Wow. Can you, know? you tell us about that? Uh, some of the dangerous experiences? Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> let me try to think of a good one. Um, well, this isn't so much an experience, but uh, because I tend to do a lot of work uh, with this and uh, this is a main thing that I connect to and 
um, get into my own sort of mischief, I guess you would say. Um, I did have a situation once where I was kind of warned to stop doing something, to not continue doing something. And I, I didn't listen. And I went temporarily blind for three days, which what is a typical fairy thing. We see that in a lot of the, the folklore, actually. Um, usually it's not temporary, though. Usually it's permanent. So I appreciate that it was only for three days. Um, I did go to the doctor and they basically had no explanation. They kind of put it down as a, an unknown eye infection kind of thing. Um, and then I sort of went back and apologized um, for, you know, what I had done that had caused the issue to begin with. Um, and then I woke up on the third day and I could see again. So, so you was, apologized to the fairies for, for what I did. cost it. Can you tell us about that? What did you apologize for? For, for continuing to do the thing that I was kind of being, it was being indicated that I should not be doing that. Can you share what that is? I was getting ready to go on a trip to Ireland. Uh -huh. um, and I was trying to kind of prep for that, but I had a lot of work I needed to get done first. I was finishing up a manuscript that I needed to get done and turned in. And I really was needing to focus on the Ireland trip, which right. had a lot of fairy stuff going on with it. Um, and it was, it was kind of made clear to me that I needed to not work on the book and just wait. And I could finish that when I got back and I'm a very stubborn person and I knew I could get it done if I just kind of buckled down in the last, you know, week before I had to leave. And it's really hard to finish writing a book when you can't see. Yeah. That's all I was saying. So I guess they forced you to take a break. They did. They did. Um, so, you know, they, they can definitely physically affect people. I've had a guest from the Philippines and they call kind of spirits in the woods elementals. And I'm not sure if they call that, call them that in, in Europe, but if so, what is the difference between fairies and elementals? Sure. So, um, elemental is a term. It's funny that, um, because I've been doing this now for quite a while and it was never something you would really hear. Um, people really didn't use the term elemental, but in the last probably 10 years or so, and I'm making myself sound so old, mm. acting like 10 years is recent, but mm. the last 10 years or so, um, it's really kind of gained popularity. And I think people, um, particularly who kind of use the word fairy more for the sort of helpful um, smaller, friendly types of beings are using the term elemental for effectively the same sort of being, the same, what I would call a fairy, but the ones that are a little more dangerous and a little more primal and um, more likely particularly to be out in wilder places and uh, that you need to be careful about not messing with. Um, so yeah, what, what that person would be describing as an elemental and what I've heard, um, particularly people that do like, a um, haunting investigations will sometimes also refer to like elementals at locations. And usually with, when they talk about what their, their definition of this is, how they would describe this elemental, it usually is something that I would probably call a fairy. But again, I use that very broad definition for what a fairy is, which, um, 
I think how you're defining the word is important in the conversation. Now, you wouldn't classify a ghost as a fairy, would you? I personally would not. Um, I do have to say, though, in fairness, that the the subject of ghosts and the human dead and fairies can get a little murky um, when you're studying, particularly some of the older folklore. Um, like sometimes it can be a little difficult to sort out if it was a ghost or if it was a fairy or what exactly was going on in a particular location in the story. Um, but to me, you know, when you have a ghost, you're talking about the um, residual spirit of something that was once human. Usually um, I have actually, you know, heard stories about like ghost cats and ghost dogs and, you know, people's pets that, that linger as well. But generally you're talking about, you know, the, the spirit of a, a once living human who is still hanging around for one reason or another. Um, when we're talking about fairies, for the most part, we're talking about things that were not human. Where it gets a little murky is that the fairies are kind of known, and this is, again, you'll find this in Iceland, Ireland, anywhere you kind of have fairies. They are kind of known for stealing humans sometimes. And when they do that, um, and then you have someone who was human who might be seen among the fairies or, you know, people will have encounters or experiences with someone that they knew as a living human at one point, but is now kind of with the fairies. Um, so I just want to put that out there because I realized for people listening, it is a little bit of a confusing aspect uh, with some of this. But we don't always find like clear cut lines and borders between some of the different concepts. So again, like I realized that sounds more confusing than clarifying. No, no, you're fine. In Ireland and Iceland, are fairies still part of their culture there and, and taken seriously? So this is an interesting question. If you go to either of those places, um, and I, I have been to both, I've been to um, Iceland once and I've been to Ireland several times. If you ask people there, um, they will generally say, no, they don't believe in the, those things. Um, you know, of course, like nobody believes in that anymore. But on the same hand, they, you know, won't generally, um, or the majority of people at least will not mess with places that are supposed to belong to the fairies hmm. um, or the hold of folk in Iceland, the Alfar. Um, there have been cases, uh, the last one in Ireland, in fairness, was in the 1990s of roads being rerouted to not disturb um, something that belonged to the fairies. Um, in Iceland, there's been more recent, there's been some in the 21st century where roads were rerouted. Um, in Ireland, we find fairy trees, which is this idea that a particular tree is very strongly associated with or kind of belongs to the fairies and you don't mess with that mm. or very bad things will happen. In Iceland, they have, they're called alfakirja and they're um, like stones, boulders, where the, the elves, the fairies are supposed to live. So they don't mess, there you don't mess with the, the elf stones, basically. Um, but it's the same kind of concept. So what I kind of compare it to uh, for people in the U.S. to kind of understand it better is like, if you ask most people in the U.S., do you believe in ghosts? Most people will initially say no. You know, of course I don't, you know, mm -hmm. I wouldn't believe in ghosts. But then if you're like, okay, well, there's this old abandoned asylum 
And I was wondering if you'd come with me because I want to, I think it's haunted. I want to check it out. They will not go with you. Right. Because they don't believe in it, but they're not going to mess with it either. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of that mindset. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I was looking around one time and I was looking into elves and I was surprised to see how popular elves are still in Iceland. Yes, definitely. Um, And elves, there's kind of like two categories, I guess we'd say when it comes to elves. Um, You will find stories of like the tiny ones, which are what a lot of people sort of imagine. Um, The little tiny, like the shoemaking elves. Um, but there's also the elves that are more like what Tolkien talks about, mm-hmm. um, the human-sized, right. beautiful, powerful. Um, and in Iceland, you find stories about both. Um, so you'll see um, if you go to Iceland, um, depending, of course, on where you are, but uh, traveling around, sometimes you'll see they look like three little houses or they're three little wooden cutouts like that look like the front of the house with doors. Um, and those are, are for the elves. Those are elf houses. Um, and they're small. They would be for like, you know, if, if you were a very tiny person, um, they actually feature in, uh, that movie, um, Eurovision, uh, fire saga, I think it's called. It's got Is that Will the Ferrell. comedy? It's, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's, it's a funny movie. It's mostly about the, um, the Eurovision song contest, mm-hmm. but um, there's a little subplot with the elves in there, and there's a point where one of the characters goes to one of these um, elf houses, which is the three little elf houses, and leaves them an offering, leaves them some uh, food and wine, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and that that is a thing you do still find over there. Um, and you also will hear people talk about having experiences with like the human-sized ones. So you kind of have both of those layers of belief going on. Um, when I was there in 2018, one of the people that I was traveling with, I shouldn't even say one of the people, two of the people, one of the people and his um, son um, believed that they encountered one of the elves when they were at a waterfall. So, um, you know, it, it does still happen. People do still um, have these experiences and these stories. Do you think that the belief in fairies in general will tell us anything about the culture? I do. Um, It's really interesting, too, because at this point, you know, my main personal focus uh, is Ireland um, and the the Irish beliefs and and that sort of thing. Sort of secondarily, Scotland um, and obviously Iceland. But sort of in the course of, um, I guess we would say my work, I have also looked at the fairy beliefs in like England and Wales and and different similar areas, um, France to a degree. And I have found that you can kind of tell a lot about what was normal in a culture um, or what is normal in a culture kind of based on what these beliefs are and particularly how they thought you should approach being respectful towards the fairies um, what they thought angered the fairies, because um, it was usually things that in the culture were considered to be positive things. Like you, you want to keep a clean house. So, you know, what makes fairies mad? Well, you know, being messy, um, throwing dirty water around, uh, they, they can't stand dirtiness, um, that kind of thing. Um, so you, you really can learn a lot about 
a culture and sort of what was important to that culture and in that culture by looking at the beliefs that they have around the fairies. Um, it was interesting. I was reading something earlier today, actually, that was talking about how if you look at the fairies in England, particularly after the Tudor period, where um, a lot of the fairy beliefs are very much based on literature because um, fairies became very popular in poetry. And of course, we all know Shakespeare's fairies and and so on. You sort of see this idea coming in there in England of fairies as sort of um, cute and tiny and um, generally harmless in that sort of Midsummer Night's Dream kind of way. Um, whereas if you look at the fairies in France, they were usually depicted as much more um, royal and powerful and, you know, wearing gold and jewels. And it usually would reflect sort of the wider ideas of the culture at the time. So pre-revolution France, you get fairies that are very monarchist, <laughs> basically. Um, whereas, you know, England, where we start to see fairies becoming sort of the domain of children, fairies become reflective of that of innocence and childishness, you know, not in a negative way. I realize childishness, people hear that and think, you know, immaturity, but more in that delighting and being young and carefree, um, that sort of childishness. Um, and in the same way, you know, pick any culture and look at the fairies and the beliefs there. And they, they have that sort of mirroring of the human culture. So what brought you to the world of fairies? Was it an experience or were you first interested in the folklore? It was, I would probably say it was an experience. Um, so I was a very strange child, probably to no one's surprise at this point in the interview. And um, I was a sort of little kid who, you know, I just believed in these beings. I don't even honestly know when that started or, or why I just sort of always did. And, um, I would, you know, tell my parents about seeing them or, you know, having fairy encounters. Um, I was, I'm actually dyslexic. So it took me a while to learn how to read and write. So when I was younger, I would have my mother write little notes that I could put on the windowsill for the fairies. Like I said, I was a very interesting child mm. and my parents were very patient. Um, but I, you know, do come from a family who has a certain level of belief um, or at least acceptance. Um, you know, my father's side in particular, uh, my grandfather was Irish and there was sort of just an understanding that, okay, this is a possibility. You know, again, that attitude of we're not going to say it's real, but we're not going to say it's not real either. Um, so, you know, growing up, no one ever really discouraged me from believing in this or, accepting this as a part of my reality, if you will. Um, and when I got a little bit older, uh, when I was in my early teens, I think is when I really started looking into the folklore because I wanted some context outside of, you know, just myself. Um, I had a lot of really interesting things I did as a child. I used to build little fairy houses out of twigs and rocks and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and I think I just wanted to know that it wasn't just me that had this particular peculiar <laughs> approach to life. Um, and then, you know, reading the folklore and finding it 
and realizing that this was actually something that there was a lot of basis for, um, you know, pretty much around the world. Every culture, they're not going to call them fairies, of course, because that's an English language word, but um, every culture has some kind of being that is very similar to what we would call fairies, mm-hmm. that sort of that extra dimensional or interdimensional or, you know, comes from outside this world, but can exist in this world and interacts with this world and has some kind of interest in humanity that can be positive or can sometimes be negative, especially if they're offended. Um, And, you know, kind of realizing that this is sort of a global, wherever there's humans, you have this idea, this belief uh, was definitely really important for me, I think, growing up. When you said the word offended, I just couldn't imagine anybody being offended by fairies. Yeah, I mean... You never know. The world is full of all sorts. (laughs) So what inspires you to keep doing research and writing about fairies? You know, I think there's two layers to that, to be honest. Um, On the one hand, this is one of those subjects that really, truly, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. There is so much out there. You know, in Ireland, the oldest reference to fairies, obviously in not under the name fairy, but in the original Irish, uh, goes back to about the fifth or sixth century. Um, it's, it's, you know, basically the oldest written accounts that we have in Ireland. One of them mentions fairies and sort of understanding that there's just, there's so much to it and that every single culture has their own um, beliefs and ideas And yet so many of them are so similar and so um, you can compare them and see kind of the same ideas. I was talking to a friend of mine um, who is a Buddhist and um, is very uh, deeply involved in those beliefs. He translates Sanskrit and Tibetan. And um, we were talking about milk, which is a very common thing that you offer to fairies uh, kind of all across Western Europe if there's fairies around, give them a dairy product, they'll be happier. And he had mentioned that there's similar beliefs in Tibet, Mm. that there's certain types of spirits that, you know, again, we wouldn't call them fairies, but similar in nature and that they, you would give them milk as an offering. And I had run across an account um, from Africa and I'm not going to remember which country. So I apologize, but again, of a similar seeming type of spirit that, would um, take milk that, you know, wanted milk. So there's this weird milk thing (laughs) that goes on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you learn something like that and you start to realize just how complex and how interrelated this all is, and then how much is out there, um, it really is like a rabbit hole. You just fall down and get deeper and deeper and just, you want to keep going until you reach the bottom, except there is no bottom. (laughs) It just goes on forever. And, yeah, this, the second part is I just, I really like um, helping other people learn. Um, and a lot of this material is not necessarily very easily accessible. Um, you know, I'm pretty fortunate in that I can read a lot of this material in the original languages and then, um, you know, pass it along, if you will. Um, and a lot of the, the fairy beliefs are becoming more obscure they're not really um, passed on the way they used to be. Uh, 
because believing in fairies is sort of seen as kind of silly and, and childish now these days. Um, so I like to write to kind of get that material back out there and, you know, preserve it as much as I can anyway. Do you think you can give us a handful of factoids about fairies that most of us probably wouldn't know? For example, I didn't know that fairies like dairy products. Sure. Um, yeah, the fairies and dairy products thing. I don't know why. It, it's just a thing. Um, well, okay. Uh, first, uh, most fairies actually don't have pointed ears or elves don't have pointed ears. Um, that is something, um, interestingly enough, that has kind of only recently, uh, within the last maybe 100 years, kind of come into common belief. And it came in through artwork where they needed something to sort of signify to the person looking at the artwork that this was supposed to be particularly an elf um, or a fairy. And so they, they used that as a visual cue. Um, most people just sort of assume that that's just how they all are. Um, most fairies uh, do not have wings. That's another thing that um, comes in originally through the theater, actually. They, again, they needed a way for people um, watching a play to know that a certain actor or actress was supposed to be portraying a fairy. So they started putting them in um, basically these costumes with like insect wings, uh, which is also sort of a popular crossover idea in England at the time, connecting fairies with insects. And that went then from the theater to artwork to fiction to sort of po the popular uh, perception which isn't to say that there aren't modern accounts where people have seen them that way. Um, Cause I don't want to imply that no fairies anywhere ever have wings, but sort of the idea that they all do, or that that's like a really um, popular thing. Uh, it's, it's very modern way to look at them. Um, I run into a lot of people who think that fairies are vegetarians. Uh, believe it or not, I get asked about that quite a bit. Um, and some of them, I'm sure are, but we do have a lot of accounts of fairies um, who are definitely not vegetarians. Um, they actually, uh, particularly in Western European, and this would go from like France up through Scotland, there's um, uh, centuries worth of stories of fairies um, stealing people's cows uh, to eat them, basically. So, I mean, that might also tie into the dairy products too. Mm. Maybe they're stealing the cow because they want some milk. I don't know, but um, at least in some of the accounts to eat them and eating fish and things like that. So um, definitely not vegetarians. Uh, and we already covered one of the other major ones I run into a lot, which is, are there fairies that are not nice? Um, and that definitely, yes. Um, you know, we pretty much find anywhere that you have a belief in fairies, there's going to be a belief that at least some of them are dangerous and can be really harmful. Um, so that's, that's another big idea. Um, and I will say probably the final one I would touch on is that a lot of people tend to think of fairies as sort of incorporeal, insubstantial, like pure energy beings. But what we find in a lot of the accounts, um, even into some of the modern anecdotal accounts, is fairies are very tangible if they want to be. Um, they can interact with people. They can touch you. They can talk to you. They can appear very solid and real. Um, manipulate the environment, pick stuff up, uh, do whatever. Um, so, you know, if, if you have a fairy encounter, it might not 
be what you would initially assume it was going to be. Um, it can be a very, uh, very tangible experience. If somebody wants to, is it possible for them to have a fairy encounter? You know, that's a great question. I do get asked that um, fairly regularly because there's there are a lot of people who, you know, would very much like to um, have these sorts of experiences, encounters. And the one thing I always tell people up front is that it's a little bit like with a cat. If the cat does not like you, then you really can't change that. You can't force them to. For anyone who's ever met a cat out there, you will understand what I'm saying right now. Um, If the cat does like you, then you're not going to be able to fix that either, even if you're deathly allergic and you don't want the cat around you. And fairies are are very similar uh, in mentality from what I've found. Um, There are people who do not want experiences that can't get away from it. And there's people who desperately do want an experience who just will never have one. Um, The best advice I can give people who want one is to just um, put it out there, you know, verbally um, say that you, you are interested in having that experience or encounter or having these beings around you um, with the understanding that some of them do like to steal car keys and hide things Mm -hmm. and your life could get a lot more interesting really quickly. Um, But that's, there's besides that, there's really nothing else you can do one way or another that's going to make it happen. Are there any signs that would let somebody know a fairy has been in their house? Um, besides the missing car keys. Um, and I will say, honestly, that that is one of the major signs in my experience. Again, when, um, someone is kind of open to this and has put that out there and suddenly they're finding a lot of stuff disappearing or being misplaced or, um, usually the classic way you can tell it's a fairy and it's not just being absent-minded is you will put the item down in plain sight where you always would leave it and then it's not there. And then you search everywhere and get very upset and can't find it. And then you go back and it's either exactly where it was to begin with, or it's somewhere equally out in plain sight and obvious where you, you would not have missed it. You would have had to have seen it at some point while you were searching. Um, And that really is a strong indicator (laughs) that um, at least one particular type of fairy is around um, and is fond of you. That's that's how they express fondness. How do fairies interact with pets, specifically dogs and cats? Sure. It's, it's interesting <laughs> that from what I've seen anyway, um, dogs don't seem to be particularly bothered when there's fairies around. Um, again, using the broad term, um, there are particular types of fairies that dogs will get very agitated around, but um, in general, 99% of the time, uh, dogs will just ignore them or, or be very chill. Cats, in my experience, there's, there's two kinds of cats around fairies. There's the kind that are going to lose their mind and start running around, jumping off walls like if you honestly are trying to figure out what is wrong with your cat, because it seems like they're chasing something, but there's nothing there. Um, that can oftentimes be fairies. Um, obviously make sure it's not like a bug or something because real world explanations do happen. But um, the other kind of cat 
type of cat I've seen when it comes to fairies um, are just really not cool with them being around and they will get really upset and freaked out again for seemingly no reason. Um, You won't be able to find out, you know, that doesn't seem to be anything different. You can't see why they're upset, but they'll get very agitated. So, and it always seems to go one way or the other. Some people will use meditation to either astral travel, get out of their body, see aliens, maybe even go into other realms. Have you ever heard of anybody using meditation to see fairies? Sure. Um, Meditation is one of the things you can do. Um, Again, it's a little hit or miss sometimes um, because it's sort of like um, when you think of fairies, it's important to keep in mind that it's not like they are um, filling the air all around us all the time. You know, if you happen to be somewhere where they are there, they're around, um, then there's things you can do, including meditation, to try to connect to that or encounter it, experience it, see it. Um, if you happen to be somewhere that just nothing is there with you, um, then, you know, nothing is going to happen. Um, it is also possible through um, type, some types of meditation, trance work, um, guided journeying, that sort of thing, to um, sort of send yourself out, uh, like you were mentioning, go to other worlds, as it were. Um, I don't generally recommend people try that initially without some experience or sort of knowing what they're doing, um, just because not all of these are friendly beings. Um, so that isn't always going to be a good idea. Whereas you know, doing a meditation in like your house or a a fairly safe area. If there's anything around, it's probably something that's already, you know, willing to be friendly to you. Do people contact fairies in their dreams? Actually, a really interesting thing. I should have mentioned this in my um, different points that I should tell people that they don't realize about fairies. Um, The idea of communicating with fairies in dreams or fairies communicating with you in dreams is a very, very old one. And we have a lot of documentation of it right up until, um, I think it was right around the beginning of the 19th century, into the 19th century. And what happened, sorry, pardon me as I take a quick drink, I need a little water. Um, What happened is the church had come in um, and started to say, you know, if you're having dreams, there's only two types of dreams, really. And one is coming from God and one is coming from, you know, not God. And you don't want that second type. Um, And then as time had gone on, they had sort of decided actually like only saints and priests and really holy people can have dreams from God. So all dreams are just sort of, you know, not to be taken seriously because they're coming from a bad place sort of a thing. And that had started to erode belief. And then modern psychology started to come in. Um, again, the the latter half of the 19th century, and um, started really emphasizing the idea that dreams were just the mind talking to itself, the the subconscious speaking to the conscious, you know, all of those theories come in. And all of this combined to sort of ultimately take away the idea that when we dream, we're communicating with things outside of ourselves or things outside of ourselves are communicating with us. 
um, which is something that kind of prior to that time, prior to the 18th and particularly the 19th century, um, we see it was just kind of accepted. You know, if you had a dream that you had gone and danced with fairies in a field and you told people like they would just, they would take that as much as if you said it happened while you were awake, mm. you know, it had that much validity to it. Um, so it's, it's actually kind of fascinating to look at the way that our, our understanding of what dreams are and the seriousness with which we take dreams has kind of changed so much, um, to now where it's like, oh, well, it's just a dream. What about children with black eyes? Are those fairies? Ah, the black eyed children. So obviously this is going to be a debated point (laughs) for everyone who's going to be listening to this show and like, you know, rapidly typing a different opinion in. Um, So I fully acknowledge that there are many viewpoints on this subject. This is just my opinion. Um, I personally think based on my understanding and from what I have studied relating to the black eyed children phenomena that um, they would qualify as fairies. I think if you have that checklist of like, what do you look for where you would consider this to potentially be a fairy? Um, We have the fact that they are often described as wearing clothing that's a little out of date or odd, not radically so, like they're not showing up in like medieval garb, but, you know, things that are noticeably out of fashion. Um, And that is actually a a documented thing with fairies that they will often appear dressed like a generation or two behind what people, what humans are wearing at that time. Um, So there's that. Um, There's the fact that they tend to appear to people who are alone um, often, which is another thing. A lot of people that have fairy encounters are alone, not always, you know, there are group encounters, but um, often, um, the behavior that they exhibit in the stories, um, the way they, you know, are acting differently from what they're saying, you know, they're, they seem very calm, but they're telling a story that should be upsetting, you know, that they're lost or they need a ride or they need you to let them in so they can use the phone. Um, that, that demeanor differing from the words is another thing that we'll sometimes see with fairies. Um, so it's sort of like if you go down the whole list, um, there's a couple things that are a little bit different. Um, like there aren't any fairies that are known for having just all black eyes uh, right off the bat. Um, the fact they appear as children, uh, that could be a fairy thing. Um, either they actually could be children or, you know, fairies can sort of disguise themselves, change their appearance. So my personal opinion is they, they have enough of those check marks on that list um, that I would put them in the fairy category. I have alternately heard people arguing that they could be vampires, they could be um, aliens, they could be a lot of other different things. So, you know, I'm not trying to say that my opinion is like the, the definitive one, but there's, there's some good evidence there. How does the religious world of Europe react to fairies? That is a very complicated question. So it depends a little on the religion. Most religions, when it comes to fairies, have a sort of, I guess we'd say grudging acceptance that they exist and they tend to put them in this 
this sort of category um, that's uh, particularly, I should say, monotheistic religions. So if we're talking about either Christianity or Islam in this case, um, they're sort of not angels, but they're not demons. They're kind of in the middle um, and they can be helpful. They can be harmful. Uh, so you sort of have to um, be cautious with them, but uh, they're not outright malicious necessarily and they're not benevolent the way like an angel may be perceived um so this is something we would see particularly with like catholicism um islam as i mentioned with pagan religions it's a little different because they tend to be more interactive and direct and in incorporating them um so they would um approach them a little differently uh, they're not gods, but they're not um, seen as like, um, there really is no equivalent to like demons in most uh, pagan religions per se. Um, Protestant religions, though, when they sort of come on the scene, were much more um, antagonistic towards fairies, I guess you would say. Um, whereas we have like, you know, Catholicism, for example, in Europe, which was not thrilled about fairies. <laughs> Um, like the, the parish priest was never going to be a fan of people leaving milk out for the fairies, but it was just sort of accepted that they were there. And we do see interactions between priests and fairies and, and different stories like that. When Protestants come on the scene, though, they were much more um, fairies are just demonic. Fairies are evil. Um, you don't want to do anything with them or have any contact with them. Um, there's actually an interesting story from Ireland of a girl who had been Catholic and uh, every time she would milk her cow, she would leave a little for the fairies because again, milk, fairies, they love it. And she converted to um, Protestantism. And so she stopped doing that because it was strongly emphasized that like you don't, don't do that sort of thing. And um, she started having all sorts of problems and all sorts of issues and finally went back to giving the milk to the fairies again um, because even the converting to the different religion, you know, couldn't change the tangible interactions she was having. But mm. historically, sorry, I got a little sidetracked with that tangential story, but um, it's, it is a good story. Um, historically, yeah, Protestantism was much more um, fairies are bad. We don't want to, encourage that at all. Whereas, you know, Catholicism was a little more accepting that it was just sort of part of the cosmic scheme of things. So overall, in your opinion, fairies are a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. <laughs> um, that is my answer to that. Um, I think a lot of it depends on how we choose to interact with them. I, I think that they can be a good thing. Um, but they do require a certain amount of respect. Um, it's sort of like if you live in an area that has wild bears, um, you know, you and the bears can get along okay, um, or wolves or foxes or coyotes, you know, pick any predator. Um, if you sort of understand what you need to do to stay safe around them and also sort of how to negotiate living with them, with them around. Whereas if you don't, um, and you are sort of careless with that, or, you know, don't respect 
that, you know, wild animals can be dangerous, then probably something bad is going to happen. Um, and, you know, not that fairies are the same as bears or coyotes or what have you, but it's that same sort of concept. I think that if you acknowledge they're around you and you respect their places and you sort of respect that, you know, they have a right to be there too, um, then they can be a good thing to have around you. Um, if you're going around cutting down fairy trees and, you know, paving over fairy stones and, you know, getting all up into their places, then you're probably going to have some problems. What is the name of your YouTube channel and what kind of content are you producing over there? My YouTube channel um, is just under my name. So Morgan Daimler. I made a decision when I first started really getting out on social media to just put everything under my name so that it would be easy for me to remember, which works out well because it's also easy for everyone else to mm -hmm. remember too. Um, most of the content on there is fairy related. I had once joked that I could talk about fairies for hours and I have proven that I actually can. I think I have like over a day's worth of content if you just listen to all of it back to back. Um, I do occasionally talk about things related to like Irish mythology um, and, you know, similar subjects. Right now I'm talking about the fairies in Scottish ballads. Um, I've been doing a little series on that, but lots of fairy content. If you're interested in the fairies, if you want to learn more about fairies, I tackle a lot of specific questions. I get asked a lot. Um, so yeah, that all gets covered. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions about fairies. Are you up for that? And if so, how can they find you? I am. I'm always up for people messaging me. Um, I will warn people that um, I sometimes do take a couple of three days to respond to messages if it's coming in at a particularly hectic time. Um, but I can be found on Facebook. I have an author page, Morgan Daimler. Mm. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Again, Morgan Daimler. So I'm, I'm fairly easy to find. Um, the only thing that I have that I don't recommend people message me on is Instagram because I don't know why I have like a mental block about checking my Instagram messages, but some of them will sit for weeks before I remember that they exist. And it's a thing I need to check. So I would, I would usually steer people towards either Facebook or Twitter um, if they want to get a hold, in touch with me. In the beginning, I mentioned that you're an author. Do you want to tell us about any of your books and where to find them? Sure. Um, I have a range of books. Uh, most of them can be found on Amazon, So, which I realize not everyone's a huge Amazon fan. Um, Barnes & Noble is an option. Most brick and mortar stores, if you go in and ask for them to order my books, they can. So if you absolutely hate Amazon, you, you do have some options. Um, but everything pretty much is on Amazon if, if you are an Amazon person. Um, I have a selection of books through Moon Books, uh, which is a publisher through the UK that I write for, about uh, different Irish gods and goddesses, um, Irish paganism. I have quite a few through them now about fairies. Um, I have several about fairy witchcraft, which is a particular type of uh, modern neo-paganism, pagan witchcraft that is focused on fairies. Um, I also self-publish. I do translation work from old Irish into English for the Irish myths. So if that's something that interests you, I have a selection of that. Um, and I write some fiction because I like to mix it up and, you know, can't do nonfiction all the time. Mm -hmm. I have to yeah. 
have something different in there. So a little bit of everything. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? If you are someone who's interested in fairies, then I definitely encourage you to reach out, to look for that connection, to find the stories and to sort of look into how much is out there with this subject. You know, there are some things about it that can be a little frightening, but there is so much to it that is um, really a blessing in my life every day and that's positive and I think can add a lot um, to people's lives. Even if it isn't something you actively believe in, even if this isn't something you personally want to connect to, um, just knowing these stories, just knowing about these beliefs and understanding that this is something that, you know, crosses humanity basically, and and across history. Um, You know, that's such a beautiful thing, really, when you think about it. Thank you for that message. And Morgan, thank you again for being my guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. and It was lovely talking to you. Likewise. Have a great rest of your evening. You as well. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.